This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. If I remember the format, this is where I talk. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. We've got a big show coming your way. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by one of the most powerful people uh, in the country, Mitch McConnell. Uh, He's going to tell us the way forward. Do we need a rescue four package? Word is the PPP program uh, that was just replenished last week is going to be out of money in a week. So what kind of deal does he have to cut? Is it true he's going to cut off all the states? He's already offered a deal. I want to get more and just tell him what Nancy Pelosi just said about him. Charlie Kirk will be with us. He's extremely tight with the President of the United States, extremely bright, too. He's also the founder and president of Turning Point USA. Um, he also wrote the best-selling book, The MAGA Doctrine. And he talks about getting America back to work. And I always like hearing from Charlie, but he wrote this column about what it's going to take to get back to work and the damage of not going back to work, despite the risks that obviously we all know about with the coronavirus. And we just had to get him on. He made some time in his schedule, so that'll be great. Uh, We're also, uh, today, the President of the United States will be on a call with the food and agricultural industry leaders. Normally, I wouldn't tell you that, except for it's called the food chain, and people get nervous about it, as am I. And he'll meet with another Democratic governor two weeks after meeting with Governor Cuomo and one day after meeting with the governor of Florida. Republican, he meets with the Louisiana Governor Edwards, who's done a real good job in terms of suppressing what we thought was going to be an overwhelming number of corona cases, although they're not out of the woods yet. And then he's going to meet with the Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, a little bit later. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we are not happy with China. We are not happy with that whole situation. There are a lot of ways you can hold them accountable. We're doing very serious investigations, as you probably know, because we believe it could have been stopped at the source. Wow. Uh, That's what the Secretary of State just told us as well. China. Instead of contrition, the world gets threats and coercion. China pushes back on U.S. claims of lying, and Australia demands an investigation, and they decide to say, well, maybe we're not going to stop boycotting your products, Australia. We'll explain, along with the growing global push to make China pay in dollars for the economic catastrophe they caused. Number two. When someone dies in this country right now, they're not talking about the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the stroke. They say, did they die from COVID? ER doctors now, my friends that I talk to say, you know, when I'm writing up my death report, I'm being pressured to add COVID. Why is that? Dr. Dan Erickson, owner of Accelerated Urgent Care out in California, uh, medical talks about maybe we weren't right to shelter in place. They took down his video. I'll discuss that a little bit later. Medical advances and testing improvements along with suppression. And this is the story I was telling you about. It's okay to suppress science all of a sudden when the conclusion runs counter to convention. That's exactly what happened, and you're about to hear all about it. Number one. What's happening right now is holding us back. There are areas that we can open in a safe manner to help lead this nation in the right Mm -hmm. direction. We can overcome this just as we've overcome so many other challenges in this nation. Kevin McCarthy says, hey, wait a second. 
Why are we shutting down entire states when they're so diverse like California? And why did the House run home and the Senate stay in Washington? I know it's because of the Wuhan virus, but state by state, we're going to be talking about who's opening up, who's not, and who's to blame for the slow release of uh, slow release of rights and safety uh, and other small politics. All right. So first off, I was disappointed the House is leaving. I know it's dangerous. I know they're old. I know when you're in your 70s and 80s, you're very susceptible. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being old. But take care. I know there's a lot of people in uh, hotbeds that are necessary essential workers. I know people say it's kind of dangerous to pick up people's garbage, but I'm doing it. It's kind of dangerous to work on uh, electric poles, but I'm doing it. It's kind of dangerous to work at the MTA. It's kind of dangerous to work in subways. It's kind of dangerous to be a cop and a firefighter. But it's a responsibility they took when they took the job. And when you run and raise money to become a lawmaker, you got to go through after 9-11, you got to report for work. And after this Wuhan virus, you got to report to work. And after the recession, you got to report to work. And you got to work extra, you got to work long. I'm not saying that they don't work at home, but the House has got to show up. And I'm disappointed because they got to get together and start hashing out ways to get us out of this and stop playing politics and thinking about November. When you talk about reopening, and I know everyone's uh, caught up in their own state, but I'll give you an idea of what's happening uh, elsewhere uh, around the country because uh, people need to know maybe uh, where to go and uh, what is happening and why so many people are upset. For example, in Florida, a little bit later, they're going to talk about their reopening plans. In California, they're going to reveal their gradual rollback of restrictions. Massachusetts extended stay home to May 15th. The New York pledges a partial reopening by May 15th with some strict guidelines. It's where we are. Tennessee now allowing retail stores to open at 50% occupancy. Wisconsin allowing non-essential businesses to do curbside drop-off. And guess who's getting a lot of play? Ohio, one of the first to shut down and shut out the NCAA tournament and other major events. Governor DeWine saying, listen, I'm ready to go. I'm listening to the people. Retail stores are going to open. And I'm not sure you even need masks. Cut four. Well, we still have basically mandatory in, in businesses that the employees uh, wear that. Um, businesses still can make that decision if they want the people that come in, their customers, to wear a mask. They can certainly still do that. But um, look, you got to know when uh, you're getting so much pushback that uh, people just aren't willing to accept it. And I think the mask as a as a retail customer. Um, just people felt offended by that. Uh, they felt that that was not what they should be told to do. Um, I'm convinced that uh, a large number of Ohioans will make that selection when they go in uh, to, to a retail business. And-, and if you're a worker or a waiter and your company wants you to do that, you'll do it. And if you don't, you won't work there. And if you don't feel secure unless you're a waiter or a waitress, or your uh, retail store or uh, is wearing a mask, then you won't go there. And then they'll decide to put on masks or not. But I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable with it. They don't feel like they have symptoms. They test negative, And they want to go about their lives without wearing the mask. And Governor DeWine uh, does do the people of Ohio want. And he does what he thinks is in their best interest. I gave him a lot of credit for it. He continues to push back, as does Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. You know, he got a lot of pushback when he decided to let the spring breakers breathe spring breakers and let Jacksonville beaches open uh, two times a day uh, and now beginning to let people do this horrible thing called sunbathing or sitting on a towel. Uh, a lot of people said, no, you shouldn't do that. And guess what? Florida did not have become the next Italy, did not become the next New York.
cut one. But I think that for Florida, going from where we are now to phase one is not a very uh, a big leap. I think that you know, we'll be able to be a small step for us, but we're going to approach it in a very measured, thoughtful, and data-driven way. And I think that that's, that's what most of the folks uh, throughout the state are looking for. Uh, yeah, uh, but they also have done better than everyone thought. Cut three. What have the results been? You look at some of the most draconian orders that have been issued in some of these states and compare Florida in terms of our hospitalizations per 100,000, in terms of our fatalities per 100,000. I mean, you go from D.C., Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, you name it, Florida's done better. And I'm not criticizing those states, but everyone in the media was saying Florida was going to be like New York or Italy. And that has not happened. We've had people in the hospital, but I am now in a situation where I have less than 500 people at a state of 22 million on ventilators as of last night. And I have 6,000 in 500 ventilators that are sitting idle, unused throughout the state of Florida. Uh, and by the way, that's why I lend them to other states. Real quick on medical devices and advances. We got to get testing. We hear over and over again, we got to get testing, just like we had to get ventilators. We got the ventilators. The PPP, for the most part, has been delivered. It's got to continue to be replenished, and then we're starting to make it here, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to bring it here and hopefully keep it here and create storage facilities. It keeps it fresh, uh, makes it, uh, uh, make the expiration date be pushed back, and then we're always ready for the next pandemic that could be floating through, especially with outlaw countries uh, like China out there. But in terms of a vaccine, making great progress with Pfizer, great progress with, uh, uh, at Oxford. Dr. Anthony Fauci is really getting optimistic. Cut 12. So the very fact that people can mount a natural immune response that gets rid of the virus in them makes me cautiously optimistic that we can develop a vaccine that can mimic natural infection enough to induce that same sort of response that would ultimately protect people. So there's no guarantee, David, there's never a guarantee of success, but the fact that the body can do it gives me cautious optimism. Nice. Uh, we're going to take a time out now because when we come back, I'm going to play a clip of a very respected doctor who has looked at the data in California. For what he knows, the chances of dying from coronavirus in California, 0.5%. Should you shut down an entire state for 0.5%? Well, if you're that 0.5%, the answer is yes. But if you want to look in the best interest of the state in term, and our country in terms of our economy and our vulnerability, the answer to me is no. Why, when this doctor puts up those statements and that data, does YouTube and Facebook ban it and take it down? I'll talk about that with Charlie Kirk and also a way to reopen and reawaken this economy and why the president is trailing in almost every battleground state to this guy named Joe Biden, who barely can string three words together, uh, who has lost his fastball maybe 10 years ago uh, and yet is beating the president. How does Charlie Kirk feel about that? Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 0.03 chance of dying from COVID in the state of California. Is that, does that necessitate sheltering in place? Does that necessitate shutting down medical systems? Does that necessitate people being out of work? When you're a little child crawling on the ground, putting stuff in your mouth, viruses and bacteria come in, you form an antigen antibody complex, This is how your immune system is built. You don't take a small child, put them in bubble wrap in a room and say, go have a healthy immune system. Uh, That is a respected doctor, Dr. Uh, Dan Erickson, who's done extensive uh, work looking at stats and science. In order to come up with the conclusion, he doesn't think the lockdown, shutdown, was a good move for California or the country. And the stats show uh, under 1% of the people die from this. Is it worth destroying a superpower's economy, which we just lost uh, another 4% of GDP that just came out this week? Charlie Kirk joins us now, fre- uh, founder and president of Turning Point USA and author of the Mag- MAGA Doctrine. And Charlie, what I think is terrible is not only was he condemned, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram have taken down that video from a doctor. Rather than lo- watching a scientist speak, they took it down. How do you explain yeah, that? I- and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Honored to be here, and it's inexplicable. And I, I watched the video, and I saw it. It had about five or six million views, and I started to circulate it around. And I thought to myself, boy, I wonder if the tech companies are going to allow this video to stay up because it was just so thoughtful, so rational, and it was able just to walk through the facts from a first-person perspective. And and look, I, I think you bring up a great point about the destruction of the American economy. But when we talk about the economy, Brian, it's not just about money. It's not just about wealth. All of that really matters. People invest in it. It's their time. It's their resources. It's their dreams. But when you turn off people's well-being like we have, we have seen the flattening of the COVID-19 curve, but we have seen the spiking of a different curve. We've seen the spiking of suicides, alcoholism, anxiety, abuse, depression, uh, isolation, We are going to have years of problems. And let's just talk about a health problem that is 
um, one that is very personal to a lot of your listeners, Brian, which was talked about in this video that now national health associations are agreeing this is a looming crisis in America because of these draconian shutdowns, which is we are missing preventable uh, cancers and tumors from being discovered right now. People are afraid to go get their routine checkups. People are not getting their routine checkups. Um, certain types of surgery, as you know, has been canceled or postponed. Therefore, a lot of biopsies that would have detected tumors uh, are not happening. We are going to probably see, and experts say this, a spike in cancer cases this fall. That's still health, Brian. It's not COVID-19, but it's still the health of our country. And so it is, there is no explanation as to why these tech giants would take down this video. Um, it was, there was nothing incendiary about it. There was nothing against community guidelines. It was very fact-driven. And to kind of just complete the point, this was done in an interview to a news company. This was not them doing it themselves. They were asked by a local yes. news company to give their opinion as to what was happening. They were not seeking fame. This was not their YouTube channel, Brian. This was not like their shtick, right? This was just a news company coming in and asking them questions for an hour uninterrupted. And it's got to be asked, and we're going to debate this for years. Did we do the right thing in shutting down the country? Did we, were we late? Governor Cuomo says in retrospect he felt he was late. Were we late as a country? Did we miss some signs? Or were we wrong to trust China that they knew that this would destroy the world's economy if they weren't honest? And were they just not honest? And we should have expected that. But to another degree, uh, we talk about how we're going to rebuild. I fear the Democratic governors are going to be very slow and say it's under safety, but it's really politics. I'm not saying I'm not saying for sure, but if we don't stand up Washington soon, if California doesn't start releasing certain areas that have not been affected and New York as well, I'm going to come to that conclusion. Charlie, will you? Yeah, and I've been there for quite some time, Brian, because the data has not reflected sheltering in place the healthy. Look, I'm all for quarantining people that are at risk and I'm all for quarantining people that might have anxiety about going out and getting sick. And I think people should do that voluntarily, and I think we need to. We have a moral uh, prerogative to look out, look after people that might uh, be at risk, people with underlying health conditions or the elderly uh, or the sick. However, Brian, uh, never before in human history do we have precedent to shelter in place the healthy. It's never happened before. No, and now never. the counterargument is, well, we don't know who has it and who doesn't have it. I think that's perfectly fair. However... It's equally as fair to say that, you know, Charlie Kirk here, 26 years old, who runs a student organization, my community of young people are not the ones at risk that are going to be, um, that are honestly going to be the ones that will be um, dying from this disease on average. Now, yes, some young people have unfortunately uh, died because of coronavirus, but almost all of them have underlying health conditions. And look, all right. freedom and liberty comes at a price, Ryan. All freedom and liberty comes at a price. This is a uncomfortable conversation to have as a country. It's not one that we are used to having. But everything that we do, that we treasure from our Second right. Amendment to driving to everything, unfortunately has a price that sometimes people are going to make mistakes with. And this, this kind gotcha. of shut everything down and try to wait it out, it's proven not to be a strategy, I think, that can continue much longer. Charlie, that whole CARES Act, you could have got for your organization $1.2 million. You said, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, we got under a minute left. Why? 
uh, I'll, I'll do it super quick. Um, we explored the initial phases of trying to get it, uh, like any business probably did. Uh, we've rejected all the funding. Uh, I started the term big government sucks. I would never be able to go back to a college campus again and look students in the eye and say, hey, big government sucks, freedom, liberty, self-reliance, while also taking money from the government. Uh, it would have been tempting. $1.2 million, of course, would be helpful right now as we have 200 people on staff and present on 2,000 campuses. But we're going to persevere. We'll be stronger than ever, and we know it's the right decision to make. Charlie, I think you made the good decision. Hopefully we'll be standing you, uh, your organization, others up soon. Charlie Kirk, thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up next, Senator Mitch McConnell. Don't miss it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. During a health care crisis, unfortunately, Leader McConnell is playing politics and talking about red and blue states. This isn't about politics. It's about people, people's jobs, people's families, people's communities. America needs to do all we can to fight against the coronavirus and rising unemployment. The McConnell plan will only drive up unemployment even higher. Well, is that in fact the case? Let's ask uh, Majority Leader Senator Mitch McConnell. Senator McConnell, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning, Brian. Hey, I just want to get right into it. You, uh, your counterpart, uh, Chuck Schumer, says you're playing politics by saying uh, by showing reluctance to pay the states more money. What's your answer to that? Well, we're open to discussing more money for state and local government. There was a huge amount in the, in the CARES Act already. Uh, but what I've said and what uh, apparently Schumer and Pelosi are unwilling to do or claim we shouldn't do is try to protect all the doctors and nurses and hospitals and brave business people who are going to begin to reopen from the avalanche of lawsuits that is waiting to greet them, which will only further make it difficult uh, for us to get our economy back up and running. So I've said... Uh, in addition to considering additional funding for state and local government, even though we've already given them a very large amount of money, we need to be thinking about that the people who are going to uh, be uh, fall under this avalanche of lawsuits, it's going to hit them. Uh, just as soon as the pandemic recedes, the lawyers will come in, and this is an important part of getting our country uh, back to business. And, and, you know, do you think that the, the, the lawyer lobby is playing a role in this? Why Democrats are so dug in on this? Because what you said seems totally logical. I'm looking at story today that the airlines have already been sued over grounded flights. Ticket brokers have been sued over canceled events. Insurers have been sued over coverage limits. Grocers and Internet retailers have been sued over rising prices. Hospitals have been sued over the adequacy of protective gear. Universities have been sued over campus closures. Uh, even strip clubs have been sued for federal benefits. So... You're already seeing the avalanche of lawsuits. There seems to be a logic to what you're, what you're saying, but you're being painted as somebody who doesn't care about workers. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the best way to protect the brave people 
who've been taking care of uh, COVID-19 patients, and it'll take a, a good deal of bravery to open up your business. If there's a lawyer out on the sidewalk uh, looking at every move you make as to whether or not you somehow uh, have been irresponsible in this phase of one and two that we move into as we reopen America, uh, that, that's not the way to get the, uh, the the country going again. And so what I've said, Brian, is, look, we're, we're open to discussing additional assistance, but it's not all about money. It's also about protecting the brave people who took care of us during the pandemic and the brave people who would be trying to open up their businesses and get back to normal in the wake of all we've experienced. And just to get another perspective on this, Nancy Pelosi weighed in on a press call I don't think you were on. Cut 23. I don't think at this time the coronavirus uh, that there's any interest in having any less protection for our workers. Shamefully, uh, Mitch McConnell, I don't know what's going with him, was saying, well, we're not paying for past mistakes. As I said earlier, he points out Illinois. Illinois' troubles came from, uh, that, that they had came from a Republican governor. We don't need any prescription uh, from anybody uh, about um, mythology or just um, excuses not to do the job. It's really sad. It's disgraceful. So saying that, you know, you don't you don't want to pay for people who who have fattened their budgets in these states. So what's your reaction to that? Well, look, uh, there's no question that all governors, regardless of party, would like to have more money. And I'm open to discussing that. But what she's ignoring is the second pandemic, which is going to be lawsuits against uh, doctors, nurses, hospitals, yep. and brave business people who are opening up there. And all I'm saying is it's all, it's, the recovery is not just about money, Brian. It's also about safety and being willing to reengage. We can say that the country is opening up, uh, but if our if people don't come and uh, businesses are afraid to open because of the lawyers that are lurking, Yep. On the curbside, outside their doors, we won't have the kind of reopening that we want. And do you want to see a line item? For example, if you do find money, this money is going to pensions or programs, uh, you know, whether it's uh, sanctuary city funding or however they line item it on, on some of these states, do you want to make sure it doesn't go there? Is there any recourse or is it, I'll give you the bulk of money if you give me, if you give me some uh, reform, uh, some protection when it comes to liability? Yeah, what I've said is we're going to insist upon this reform, which is not related to money, as a condition for going forward. We need to protect the American people and the brave folks who've been on the front line uh, taking care of our patients uh, during this awful pandemic. So getting the country uh, back to normal is not just about spending more money, although I understand that every uh, state and local government in America would like to have more. I'm willing to talk about that, but we need to protect these brave people who've been on the gotcha. front lines. All right. Uh, in terms of a rescue four package, for lack of a better name, it looks like this is what we're talking about because in two weeks they say the uh, Paycheck Protection Program is going to run out of money again. Do you going to look to do a smaller thing to fix that in exchange for something Democrats want or go back in again for another uh, another major package like Rescue 3? Well, one thing we're going to do is we're going to come back to work next Monday. The House is not. Uh, we feel like if if uh, people on the front lines are willing to work during the pandemic, we should be as well. And so the Senate will come back. We'll be in session next week. We'll, proper, we'll practice proper safeguards. 
in the wake of this and work safely in the Senate, but get back to uh, to business. Uh, we're not going to sit on the sidelines uh, during this period in the, the, the Senate. And we're willing right. to discuss with the House, even if they're not around, uh, we're willing to discuss uh, the way forward, as I've already outlined, provided uh, we have protections for the brave people who've been on the front lines. So are you, how, how surprised and, dare I say, disappointed are you the House is going home? I mean, for, for you guys, are you not any more in danger than they are or safe than they are? That choice, doesn't it hurt the country? Yeah, look, here's what we're going to do, Brian. We're going to modify routines in ways that are smart and safe. Uh, but we're going to honor our constitutional duty to the American people and conduct critical business, and we're going to do it in person. If it's essential for doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, truck drivers, grocery store workers, and many other brave Americans to keep carefully manning their own duty stations, then my view and the view of my colleagues is it's essential for senators to carefully man ours and support those folks who are out there on the front lines. Uh, we're going to focus on concrete steps to strengthen our responses to this complex uh, crisis. And as I said earlier, uh, we're willing to discuss with the Democrats the way forward. And we're going to do it with all senators here, uh, not back in their home states. We're all going to be here, and we, we believe we can man the Senate in a, in a way that's consistent with, uh, with uh, good practices, a proper spacing, masks where appropriate. Uh, we believe we can conduct the people's business, and we intend to. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office estimated the GDP will plunge this quarter at a 40% annual rate. Uh, the GDP lost 4%. We've never seen numbers like this, I don't think, in our lifetime. What's your reaction to it? Can you put in perspective, Senator McConnell? It's been a catastrophic event for our economy. And I, I congratulate the governors around the country who are beginning to open up, consistent with Phase 1 of the White House Coronavirus Task Force recommendations, and begin to move us in the direction of getting back to normal. We do need uh, to be aware of uh, proper distancing and yeah. wearing masks where appropriate. And But I believe we can get back to work in America slowly uh, but surely, and it's certainly the only way. We can't spend our way out of this, Brian. There's not, there's not enough money we can borrow uh, to solve this problem until we begin to open up our economy and begin to get back to normal. Uh, Senator, um, we also th look at some of the polling early, even though we're in these uh, very strange times, and we see the president trailing in almost every battleground state. How concerned are you for his reelection and for you holding the majority in the Senate? On a scale of one to ten. Well, first, with regard to the presidential race, the numbers look pretty much like they did against Hillary Clinton at this point in 2016, and yet the president won. Uh, we, we do have a competitive situation in the Senate. Uh, I've got a very large class up because this is the class that took the majority in 2014. We have 23 members up. They only have 12. So, yes, we're on defense, and we've got competitive races all over the place. Um, but these are very sharp senators. Uh, they were sharp enough to get elected in 14, and I think they'll be sharp enough to get reelected in 20. Has the president been better or about this as you thought he would be when he got the job? You didn't know him too well before he got the job, and you guys had some rough roads, but you guys seem to be very much in sync. How would you, how would you characterize him so far? 
Our relationship. I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. My relationship with the president. Relationship. His relationship and and his performance. Well, I think our relationship has been terrific, and his performance has been outstanding. I mean, look for example at what we've done with the judiciary: two Supreme Court justices, fifty fifty one circuit judges. Just to put that in perspective, uh, President Obama did fifty five circuit judges in eight years. We did fifty one in a little over three. Uh, we transformed the judiciary with young men and women who believe in the quaint notion that maybe the job of judges is to actually follow the law. So uh, comprehensive tax reform we had until the pandemic, a very hot economy, and that was directly because of the policies of the Trump administration and the Republican Congress, uh, which enacted those policies. So no, I think the president's done a good job. He has a strong argument for re-election in the fall. And I wouldn't be alarmed by what polls may be showing in April. The election is in November. Senator Mitch McConnell, we appreciate your time and keep us on good terms. You want to be out now, so I've got to get you out, even though I have 100 more questions to ask you. Have a great day, sir. Thanks a lot, Brian. You got it. Appreciate the time. Uh, so does our audience. one 408 7669 We're going to come back with your calls and your, uh, and your thoughts. If you, I'm getting some emails, too, for people applying for the PPP program. Uh, one out of every three is giving me a thumbs up. The other two are very disappointed. Uh, hopefully you're just frustrated and success is coming. Talk to Marco Rubio about that, and we'll discuss that, too. Also want to talk about China. There seems to be all-hands-on-deck push to really break up with that country economically and understand what they are militarily. Do you think this is short-term or long-term? I think it's long-term. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are a lot of ways you can hold them accountable. We're doing very serious investigations, as you probably know. And we are not happy with China. We are not happy with that whole situation because we believe it could have been stopped at the source. It could have been stopped quickly and it wouldn't have spread all over the world. And we think that should have happened. As tearing the president up, as it is killing him and so especially the families of those 58,000 have lost their lives. President saying he's not happy about China. China lashes back out of the U.S., saying they were lying through our teeth on the coronavirus. Here's the quote from the foreign minister spokesperson. Uh, quote, we advise American politicians to reflect on their own problems and try their best to control the epidemic as soon as possible instead of continuing to play tricks to deflect blame. Is That, that is so tone deaf and, and ridiculous it's astounding. Deflect blame on the people that inflicted this disease on us and lied about it and still lie about the, where it emanated today? And then when Australia says we're doing an independent investigation about how this started and how we got infected, here's what the editor-in-chief of Global Times, run by the government, says. Let me give a coercion to, uh, let me give a coercion to Australia as its attitude towards China becomes worse and worse. Chinese companies will definitely reduce economic cooperation with Australia, and a number of Chinese students and visitors going to Australia will go will also decrease. Time will prove it all. Right. So you're threatening not to send your students to better universities? Keep them home and keep them out of our country, too. This is unbelievable. Can you imagine the audacity? 
Can you imagine if you put carbon dioxide through somebody's house, you killed everyone in it, and when their family came and wanted to crack down on you, you got mad at them? Uh, Gail writes me um, about something. Well, I don't want to talk about China right now. I want to talk about China right now with Howard first. K-O-I-L, Coil in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Howard. Hey, Brian. General Keene warned us yesterday that, again, that China is an adversary. It goes beyond trade practices. They have had a direct hand in killing thousands of Americans, not just with COVID, but Korea, Vietnam, they supported the Viet Cong, fentanyl production. The free world needs to band together, confront the bully, stop giving them huge amounts of money so they can build up their war machine, and finally avert. That might allow us to avert war and let these COVID deaths not be in vain. I, I hear you, and I think what Jap- Japan did, they had a national order. Let's start pulling our manufacturing out of China. Boom. That's it. They're right in their doorstep. They know it's going to mean trouble for them internationally and economically, and they have not been strong economically, and now they're trying to come back on the virus. We have to do something very similar. It's complicated when it comes to uh, the tech firms, but not too complicated when it comes to the essential things like medicines, pharmaceutical products, obviously, uh, all these other uh, PPE things. Uh, there's stuff that's got to come out of there right away. I know Walmart and Kmart and uh, all these other companies like Target are going to pay the price, but I'm willing to pay more for economic freedom, Howard. I hear you. And good thing putting history in. Remember, uh, it was North Korea that invaded South Korea. We came in to prop up our ally, and then China came in to support theirs. And we were at war with them in the 50s, and they cost us countless lives. Uh, we killed a million to them. Keith, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Keith. Brian, good morning. Good morning. The, the government, via the First Amendment, cannot inhibit, suppress free speech. It's our most basic right. Yet the federal government is giving billions in subsidies and other things to tech companies who are, in fact, suppressing free speech. Your thoughts on that? Um, I'm, I'm befuddled uh, by it at this moment. I, I'm, I don't understand what's going on. And I'll give you an example of what really bothers me today. I'm reading in Minneapolis that they didn't like how many people were in the parks. So they took down all the tennis courts and they took the rims off the backboards. We know last week they put sand in the skate park. Is this America? Get one of these people that work for the state and town to walk around and say, guys, uh, ladies, you got to spread out a little bit. You can't play, you can't play one-on-one, but man, you can shoot, right? Uh, I could see you going down, and I could put your kid, a little kid on the swings. It's okay. I don't need to be locked out of my park, out of the high school, which we all paid for. Can't run around the track. Can't play tennis. Where did this all come from? Why is this acceptable? Why, are these new, why is the New Jersey governor saying you can't play golf? Why did the New York governor say it's okay? Let them play golf. And by the way, let them use a cart. They've got to use one cart. They've got to maybe pay a little bit extra to travel in their own cart or have somebody in the back seat only. I mean, you just can't just sit there and take away people's rights uh, because of the coronavirus. We've sure already shown great responsibility. We still have to live. It's amazing. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. You can pre-order uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. It's coming out on paperback May 14th, and that's where you can communicate with us. Just hit on contact. I'll get your email. I'll try to read them on the show. Don't move. Fox 
Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's uh, perilous times, and we're so glad you chose us uh, as your one-stop shopping to get the radio show that you need to get the information that you want. Uh, Carol Markowitz is going to be with us. She says it's time to open up this country, and even in New York, the epicenter of where all this happens. She writes for the New York Post. How long are we supposed to stay locked down is the question I ask myself. Some of you don't agree and you say, listen, I'll stay as long as it takes uh, to feel safe. I don't think we're ever going to be 100% safe. Also, Governor Cuomo let everybody know yesterday, I'm not going to shut you down to the 15th, but I got criteria for opening up. And a lot of people look into New York because they know how bad it was in New York, how bad it is in New York, how high the numbers are. But I got sources telling me who go to hospitals on a regular basis. The emergency rooms are empty. The beds are available. It's time to open up elective surgeries again. And so the hospitals don't go into the red, treating all of us in this pandemic time. And this hour, we're going to be joined also by Congressman Will Hurd. He's done a great job for the state of Texas, former CIA guy. We always like talking to the congressman. He's going to be with us live, and we'll be taking your calls at 1-866-408-7669. Many of you have homes or have interest in going to Florida. The governor today will make an announcement on the way forward to reopening up that state, which has been ahead of the curve for most of the time. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we are not happy with China. We are not happy with that whole situation. There are a lot of ways you can hold them accountable. We're doing very serious investigations, as you probably know, because we believe it could have been stopped at the source. Imagine if it was how different life would be right now. China, instead of contrition, the world gets threats and coercion. China also pushes back on U.S. claims of lying. And Australia says we want an investigation. So now they are telling Australia, we're going to stop buying your products. What a child. We'll explain, along with the growing global push to make China pay in dollars and cents for the economic catastrophe they they put on the world. Number two. When someone dies in this country right now, they're not talking about the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the stroke. They say, did they die from COVID? ER doctors now, my friends that I talk to say, you know, when I'm writing up my death report, I'm being pressured to add COVID. Why is that? Wow, medical advances and testing improvements along with suppression. And we find a time when, I guess there was a time when we found it was okay uh, to go with science. Now it's okay to suppress science. When the conclusion runs counter to convention, I guess, that's exactly what YouTube is doing and Facebook is doing and Google is doing. We want you to hear about it from us. Number one. What's happening right now is holding us back. There are areas that we can open in a safe manner to help lead this nation in the right Mm -hmm. direction. We can overcome this just as we've overcome so many other challenges in this nation. Here you go. State to state, where are we heading? Although we know how we have now passed one million American cases of the Wuhan virus, state by state we are opening up, while some blame their slow release of rights on safety and others just politics. Uh, I have a real problem with the fact that Washington hasn't opened up yet. I'm not on the ground there, but I could see what's going there in terms of numbers. You understand in rural sections of Washington, they're saying, why is the Democratic senator um, talking about safety for people that were never in jeopardy? 
because maybe Seattle may still be a challenge, but it's not really if you look at the numbers. Why is it that California is one size fits all? Uh, we could be opening up that state because Los Angeles might be struggling. It doesn't mean this huge state, the size of most countries, is struggling. And we'll talk about that, too. We also know, too, that 30% of all cases are coming from New York. And I went to New York on Monday. I was in New York City at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There was nobody there. And I went home through the Midtown Tunnel at 4 o'clock. I got home in 45 minutes to Long Island, which usually takes me two and a half hours at 4 o'clock, which is why I always took the train. Nobody there. But one thing i got to give New York credit for when it comes to reopening, and people want to look back all the time, and they want to say, whose fault is it? And the president always says, listen, I was ahead of the curve when I stopped the China flights, but we did not know how bad this is going to be, in all honesty, because we were lied to. Now they've come up with a Washington Post report that says the five times uh, the president uh, pushed aside intelligence said it was going to be bad. Really? Uh, someone was telling us it's going to be bad, like SARS is going to be bad? Never bad. Mer- uh, uh, MERS is going to be bad? Never bad. Swine flu was going to be bad? Never bad. Not good for the people that get it. Ebola could have been catastrophic. You get it, you die. Never made it over here. So it was probably going to be the same protocol. Among the people that thought that was the governor of New York. And he said yesterday, to his credit, he wished he acted earlier. Cut seven. When China says, don't worry, I have a fire in my backyard. You don't hang up the phone and go back to sleep, right? And if no one was going to blow the bugle, I would feel much better if I was a bugle blower last December and January even though no one danced to the music, I would feel better sitting here today saying, I blew the bugle about Wuhan province in January. I can't say that. You can't. And the Chinese knew it, and they allowed their people to travel, even though they quarantined that city. People got out. They didn't stop them. They went to Europe. Europeans came to New York. It was besieged. Uh, they hit uh, the West Coast. They acted quick. Uh, maybe they could have acted quicker. Now we find out it was probably there as early as December. Uh, but they've done a great job, and they are more spread out than we are. They don't have a, a mass transit system like we do. We live on it. Most people in, in a city don't even have a car. How many cities in America can say that? So state by state, let me just give you an idea of what's happening. May 1st is going to be a huge day, and that's Friday. Uh, we already had some major openings in Oklahoma, famously in Georgia and Colorado. But we have a lot of people who are starting to get their freedoms back. Uh, And some pushback, too, as well. In Florida, they're expected to make an announcement sometime this hour. California will have a gradual rollback of restrictions. Massachusetts uh, doesn't like what they see. They want to push back their stay at home until May 15th. New York pledges a partial reopening by that same date. Tennessee will allow retail stores to open open up uh, half full, full, 50% occupancy. Wisconsin, non-essential businesses, curbside drop-off, outdoor rentals are allowed. Uh, We're also going to see... North Dakota restaurants, gyms, salons, personal care services, they are up and running. Alabama retail stores, stores, 50% occupancy. Tomorrow, excuse me, two days from now, Arizona, Colorado, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, um, Ohio, Ohio, Ohio um, Oregon, Pennsylvania, uh, Texas, Vermont, Wisconsin are going to be reopening to some degree. So to me, it's getting exciting because it's all about the comeback. I love comebacks. For Ron DeSantis, he's defending himself. While everybody else was shutting down and getting high approval ratings, he said, I think it's overreaction. I'm going to protect my seniors. I'm going to watch Miami. But the rest of the state, I'll just keep an eye on. I'm not going to be that restrictive outside shutting down 
uh, health clubs and restaurants. And he was pretty stern about it. And here's what he said yesterday at the Oval Office. Cut three. What have the results been? You look at some of the most draconian orders that have been issued in some of these states and compare Florida in terms of our hospitalizations per 100,000, in terms of our fatalities per 100,000. I mean, you go from D.C., Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, you name it, Florida's done better. And I'm not criticizing those states, but everyone in the media was saying Florida was going to be like New York or Italy. And that has not happened. We've had people in the hospital. But I am now in a situation where I have less than 500 people at a state of 22 million on ventilators as of last night. And I have 6,000 in 500 ventilators that are sitting idle, unused throughout the state of Florida. And I hear so many uh, medical workers, hospital workers are being furloughed. We've got to put them back to work. Don't they matter? Uh, don't hospitals matter? I like for-profit hospitals and it's an incentive to be efficient. Of course, you got to watch the pricing, but I want them to survive. I don't want them to pay the price for saving our lives or being ready to save our lives. We got to stand them up in all 50 states. For Christy Nome in South Dakota to show you how different it is, and we're, of course, heard in South Dakota, lucky enough to be a national show. Here's what she said on Sean Hannity last night. Cut five. In South Dakota, we didn't close any businesses. Um, we didn't do any shelter in place. Um, I trusted my people. They trusted me to make decisions that were best for us, and they've just done an absolute fantastic job. That's why my plan is not a reopening plan. It's a back-to-normal plan. Uh, we're working our way back towards getting the life in South Dakota that we love again, and I'm giving them guidance to do that. I'm going to talk about medical advances. I'm going to talk about what's going on with testing and why I think America is ready to go back to work. As Chris Christie said brilliantly, Americans don't want to be shielded from any type of danger. Uh, We want to be smart, uh, but we know life is full of risk. Every day it's a risk. When you hop on a a one-way street, it's a risk, and nobody's coming the other way. When you're on a highway in a single lane and there's people going the other way, you're trusting that they're not texting, not going to slam into you, but it's a risk. When 0.4% are going to lose their lives to a disease, is it worth telling 99-plus percent people that risk alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, depression, and the numbers say domestic abuse, and destroy your careers for that? I say game on. Carol Markowitz is next for the New York Post. She agrees. Congressman Will Hurd, um, uh, he's going to put it in perspective on what's happening in Texas and what the CIA may or may not have told the president about all this. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thank God that Governor Newsom, Governor Cuomo, and the other governors around the country decided to do what we would, again, Republican or Democrat, what you would want if you're someone in your family was sick, if someone at one of your friends was sick, what would you want the governor in your state to do? To prepare for the best, to not have the hospitals ready for the potential of overflow? Right. It's just, it's mind-boggling how idiotic these comments are, and not just hypocritical, but to the real point, they're, they are cavalier and dangerous, and I think for a lot of people who have lost people in this in this tragedy, they are 
slap in the face to hear these things from some of these idiots in the media. And I, again, dangerous because we still have big choices to make going forward about how we're going to reopen as we try to try to do the gradual reopening. What is he even talking about? John Heilman, uh, 58,000 people lost their lives, no doubt about it. But many people's lives have been destroyed as we wait at home. 330 million people told to stop their lives and uh, destroy their careers. Uh, that was brought up to Carol. Uh, that was that thought came to Carol Markowitz's head, and she wrote it in a great column in the New York Post. The, the headline is, wait, how long are we supposed to stay in a lockdown? And, of course, you're right here in New York where we've seen our, uh, our share of uh, infected people and death, sadly. Um, but, Carol, enough is enough, you feel, right? Yeah. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, look, no, none of us are not sympathetic, especially those of us in New York who have suffered so much loss. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a friend or a neighbor or a family member who died during this time. It was, it was a very serious thing, and nobody's making any kind of light of it. And, and the clip you just played, it makes it seem as though the governors had prepared on time. In fact, they prepared very late, and they um, were very hysterical and um, didn't bring calm at all to the situation when they you know, said that millions would die and they needed millions of ventilators and uh, all the things. So now that we're sort of have done what we're supposed to do, we flatten the curve, the hospitals are um, under control, we never ended up using the Javits Center, uh, the USS Comfort is sailing away, all of that um, leads us to the next question is, lead us out of this. What is the next step? What do the governors need to do? What do, what do they need to see in order to ease this lockdown? And in New York, it's just it's so ongoing and just no end in sight that it's concerning. No question. And New York is totally empty. New York City, the most popular city in the country uh, that means so much the economic engine of the world, uh, which is why the world came and infected us uh, and got us this virus from Europe. But you point out, too, there's a price to pay for waiting. For example, these hospitals aren't making any money. They have empty beds right right now. And you point out in your column, skipping uh, people are uh, scared or they're not invited to get a a cancer screening. Uh, Lines of food at pantries are getting scarily long. Domestic abuse is on the rise. Drug and alcohol abuse is on the rise. People aren't getting their shoulders and hips replaced. Uh, You're not being able to take care of yourself because you don't have coronavirus. Make a coronavirus ward and let the other doctors work, right? Yes, absolutely. That's really also what we're lacking is just a perspective of this is not cost-free. Locking down the city, locking down the state, locking down the country does not come without cost. There are people who are going to die because of this lockdown. There are people who already died. Um, Suicide rates, again, you know, like you said, the drug and alcohol rates, all of that is going to be an ongoing problem. Um, And I, I just don't think we're dealing with it because we're so afraid and so just stifled by the idea that if you want to move forward, if you want to have a plan for reopening the state and the country, then you don't care about this. And I, I've taken this very seriously. I, my family locked down before the Bayer Bill de Blasio stopped going to the gym. This has not been a joke to us, um, but we need a way forward and we need some leadership and we're sorely lacking that in New York. Uh well, I mean, you have a governor who's being lauded for the way he's handled things. In terms of yeah. pure stats, it's been a disaster. Uh, but in terms of communication, it's been strong. Are you not satisfied right. with the mayor and governor? Oh, well, no, I'm not. Um, but, you know, I've I've even given Governor Cuomo credit. He did fantastic at the comforting part of this job. 
you know, when we were scared, when we needed comfort from the governor that it was going to be okay, and when we needed to hear the straight facts, he did it. And especially he did it when, when you contrast him with our bumbling mayor, he, he seemed really amazing. But he has not been able to transition to the actual action plan that is necessary at this time. On May 15th, you know, two weeks from now, he's going to announce that only some industries can open in upstate New York. Upstate New York has been barely hit by this. That That's really what's wild about it, is that there's no difference between these small towns in upstate who haven't seen this at all and New York City. Look, I live in Brooklyn. I would like to, us to move it along and open, you know, in the near future. But I understand that it's not going to happen tomorrow. But why shouldn't upstate open tomorrow? Why are they waiting another two weeks? It just makes no sense. That's what, they're, uh, that's what rural uh, people in, in rural Washington are saying to the, their governor, too. And does it make one conclude in Illinois there are similar complaints as in California? Are we concluding that politics is playing a role in this? We don't want to stand up Donald Trump's economy to make sure it's uh, Joe Biden's presidency? It absolutely feels to me, like I wrote in the column, like a poke in the eye to Donald Trump. If Donald Trump wants it, then they don't want it. And if Donald Trump once, you know, says that some drug might ha- might show some potential, then they're immediately opposed to it. And they're very happy when that drug doesn't work out or, you know, shows and tested it might not work. So, you know, the, the line is we're all in this together, but it doesn't seem that way. And all the people who keep saying we want to, you know, we need to stay closed, we need to care about each other, we need to, you know, um, just not move forward. It's hard not to notice that those people are getting paid. And the people who are not getting paid, yeah. the people who are really struggling have no voice in this conversation because they're as soon as they, they try to talk, it's that they care about more about money than they do about, you know, their neighbor's health. And that's just not the case. It's we need a path for all of us, not just for the people, you know, who are, are sitting home and still collecting their their check. You know, as I just quoted with Governor Christie, he wrote in his column over the weekend, he said, you know, Americans know life has risk. There is a risk. We go back. There is a way to get on the subway. There is going to be a way to walk on the street. There is going to be a way to go to restaurants. So let's get to it. What are we waiting for? The numbers are going down. And May 15th, you better do more than just open up for construction. You better tell Nassau County is now on 12 days of reductions in Suffolk County, too, that if they hit the 15 days, they should open up. And then encourage people in the city, maybe maybe hold off on traveling for a little while. We can handle that. Yeah, look, again, as I said in the column also, it's not like the line is, oh, you just want to go back to normal. None of us are expecting normal. We're, we're wiping down our groceries. We're wearing masks outside. We get it. It's not going to be normal. But can we move toward normal? Can we, can we can find we, yeah, the road can, back? Yeah. Carol, you, you're singing my song. You did a great job talking about it as you did writing about it. Nice. Appreciate it. Carol Markowitz, uh, pick up the New York Post uh, or download the app as I did. Congressman Will Hurd is next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We know that all retail can open up. We need to get back to business, allow everybody to sell their goods at 25%. We know that's not good enough, but if we can do this and prove that we can do it for two weeks, then we can take the next step and open up at 50% capacity. And if we can continue to contain the spread, we can open up all the way. 
one step at a time, making sure we put safety first. Uh, that is uh, Texas uh, governor talking about where we're going now uh, with this uh, virus recovery. And Texas is beginning to move forward. It's such a diverse state. Some people feel untouched. Other people feel like Houston and Dallas, perhaps they're overwhelmed. And maybe Austin. There'll be a demonstration this weekend in Austin to open it up. Congressman Will Hurd, Republican of Texas, 23rd District, member of the House Appropriations and Intelligence Committee, former CIA guy, uh, joins us now. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks. It's always good to be with you, Brian. Hey, Governor, how are things in Texas? First, in your district, what are you dealing with in terms of numbers and, and hospitalizations? Sure. And so, so I represent 29 counties, two time zones, 820 miles of the border. It takes 10 and a half hours to drive across my district. And there are, there are 16 of my counties that have had um, someone exposed to COVID-19. My hometown where I live, San Antonio, we've actually been dealing with this since the third week in January. The, the 91 American citizens that were expatriated from Wuhan, China, were brought to San Antonio at Lackland Air Force Base. Uh, so this issue about if they had symptoms, where do they go? Do we have PPE? Can we handle, can the existing um, inf- healthcare infrastructure handle this? This is something that we've been dealing with for, for months. Um, and and our, our hospitals are not overrun. Um, we've had a number of deaths. Half of, almost half of our deaths was because of, a, of a, a nursing home in San Antonio. And San Antonio has seen two days <clears throat> without having new deaths. San Antonio is the seventh largest city in the country, 1.7 million people. Um, so <clears throat> this is something that uh, people are concerned. And, and look, uh, your clip you ran about the governor, um, he made it very clear these are, this, these are decisions that are being led uh, by health concerns and protecting public health and that this is going to be evaluated in two weeks to say can we open up a little bit further or do we have to you know step back uh, making sure that our communities have everything they need in order to deal with a, with a surge um, we have bed space um, we have PEPE right. uh, Texas has a website uh, we have over 340 sites throughout Texas where anybody can go and get a test um, the National Guard is, you know, a lot of my rural communities where I have more cows than people, you have National Guard going out there and doing tests for people, anybody who wants it. Um, and so wow. and, and we know some of the testing capacity here in Texas, um, we can be doing more tests as, as people aren't, um, uh, we, you know, we can, we can handle the load. So these are the decisions that are being made. But again, people are concerned. Um, we'll see how many people. Friday is when restaurants and movie theaters are going to be open up for 25% capacity. We'll see how many people go out. Um, we still got to be smart and follow social distancing. But I think we can achieve both of protecting public health and trying to restart um, our economy. Right. Congressman, I don't have to tell you, time matters, right? I mean, with our economy is taking a hit like I've never thought in my lifetime I'd see it. Uh, GDP lost four points. Uh, the numbers are overwhelming. It's, it's worse than the Great Recession. So as we try to be safe, you balance that off of the economic recovery, which is more than dollars and cents. It's people's welfare as well. So would you like to push the envelope more or that maybe is happening in Florida or in Georgia and Oklahoma? Or are you more of the mindset of Washington and New York and Massachusetts Wait and see. Look, this is 
what's great about America, right? These are decisions that should be made that should be made locally, right? I'm a firm believer in local control, and if Texas has different realities on the ground than Florida, then we should be able to do that. A, a one-size-fits-all reopening doesn't work, and, and I know Texas better than anywhere, right? And so I think uh, the decisions the governor's made and many of the, the, the mayors and county judges are working on, it's the right move. And can we be even more aggressive after the next two weeks? Maybe, right? Um, but let's take data on the ground, let's use health information, and let's try to restart this. Because, right, you know this better than any, right, the, the geopolitical impact all of this is having. The United States, you know, we, we, we benefit from having the most important economy in the world. If we lose that position, it's going to impact every single American. And guess what? The Chinese government, the, the Communist uh, Party in China, is trying to take advantage of this, right? That's why they're increasing disinformation campaigns, not in the United States, but in Europe amongst our allies to try to say, hey, America is not going to be able to help you. America is having problems with this. And, and so come, come work with us. We'll help take care of you. Because they're trying to supercharge their effort to surpass the United States as the sole hegemon in the, in the, in, in the world. And, and this is not, you know, Will Hurd coming up and thinking this. This is what the Chinese government has said themselves. They want to surpass the United States of America as the sole superpower by 2049. And they feel like this is an opportunity as the world's dealing with COVID-19 to get some shots in and, and catapult themselves potentially trying to do that sooner. So while we, this is a local health concern and we should be taking care of the health of American citizens, we need to be restarting our economy because this is a geopolitical struggle and this is not something that we're dealing with in a vacuum. Oh, absolutely. But here's the thing. They've already been effective. I understand uh, European Union was going to put a communique essentially blaming the virus on China and what would the, what they should do. China got word on this and started working diplomatic channels to sanitize the release. And it worked. They don't fully blame China for this. Now, Germany has flat out. Germany newspapers have flat out. Uh, Italy is not saying much. Spain is. The U.K. has been extremely critical. Uh, obviously, Japan is pulling out manufacturing. Taiwan was the one who did it right, it seems, uh, than everyone else. And we're beginning to upgrade a little bit. Uh, Congressman, do you also see this as an opportunity to not dance around the edges anymore? Go directly at it and say, world, you have a choice. The secretive communist country that poisoned 184 nations or us who is trying to help you with stuff that actually work not masks that have expired and tests that are ineffective. Is this also a window of opportunity for people that did your old job in the CIA? Amen, brother. 100, 100%. And, and look, but, but it requires, right, this is why our, our diplomatic effort is, is just as important as some of these health yes. issues. The, the, way, the way that you bring uh, accountability to the Communist Party of, of China is you, you force these international institutions. You get some of our allies. Look, as someone who, who has, we're, we're in lockstep, the, the Australians. Um, the, the Chinese ambassador to Australia is trying to threaten the, the, the Australian government, be like, maybe Chinese citizens stop drinking Australian wines and eating Australian beefs, right? And, and so what we need our allies to make sure that, that it's not just us speaking in these international forums 
to ensure that there's transparency uh, on the Chinese government, that they talk more about what actually happened in, in, in this in back in, in November, December of, of last year in this one lab and their responses to this. What are they doing in, in research and in other areas? And so the way we put pressure on the Chinese, because we know this kind of pressure works, but it requires continual you know, contact with other diplomats and heads of states across the, uh, across the world, because this is how we deal. Because what, what, the, what the Chinese are to come back through and say, listen, we'll give you loans for, you know, your infrastructure projects. We'll, we'll build your next communications um, system, but it's going to be Chinese. Um, it's going to be Chinese tools and it's going to be Chinese equipment. It's going to be run by uh, Chinese officials, and they're going to have access to that data. And what's always strange with me, with our European allies, they always want to talk about privacy and think that there's a, a, a transatlantic divide, which I, I don't think there is. But the Chinese don't care about privacy. The Chinese don't care about civil liberties. The Chinese are going to try to use debt to put countries um, further under their thumb. And, and we have to make that case, and we have to make that case often. And this is an opportunity for us to reassert our role in, 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 in the rest yes. of the world. Because in the end, it, the reason we, we have many of these relationships is they're great trading partners. It's a place for us to sell our goods and services. And we want to make sure the U.S. economy stays the number one economy in the world because that helps every single American. Congressman Will Hurt, our guest, he's talking not only about Texas but about the country uh, because he was in the CAA for a while and also serves on these committees. Just to know, you're not, you nailed that missive exactly. Here's the tweet from the editor-in-chief of the Global Times, which is run by the Chinese government. Uh, let me give coercion to Australia, because they use the word coercion. As an attitude towards China becomes worse and worse, Chinese companies will definitely reduce economic cooperation with Australia, and the number of Chinese students and visitors going to Australia will also decrease. Time will prove it all. They told us, we advise American politicians to reflect on their own problems and try their best to control the epidemic as soon as possible instead of continuing to play tricks to deflect blame. Deflect blame? So, you pointed out what should happen. I pointed out what I hope happens. Congressman, is any of this happening? Do, do, at the State Department, are they doing this with a fervor, the way we're fighting this here? Look, I, 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 yes. The, the answer is yes. Um, I, I know Secretary Pompeo understands this and gets this. You know, we had the chance to serve together in the House. I actually replaced him on, on the Intelligence Committee. Um, I know all of my former friends, you know, that I served with. You know, I was undercover for my entire career. And so I, you know, many folks in, in our diplomatic corps protect my cover and, and help me do my job. They understand this threat. And when I talk to my friends um, back in the organization, um, they, the, the, the global threat uh, of China, and we're seeing the intelligence community in, at writ large start yeah. focusing on, you know, what we call great power competition. And that is, you know, we're still focused on terrorism. This is an issue. But the, the geopolitical struggle with the Chinese, uh, the role, the, the destabilizing role Russia is playing in the rest of the world. And, and, and also the thing that's also scary to me is how the Chinese, the Russians, and the Iranians <clears throat> are starting to coordinate on their disinformation campaign. And we're yes. seeing the Chinese, you know, having an official Chinese, you know, uh, uh, official, 
you know, talk trash about the Australian government or, or American elected officials is one thing, but some of the some of the, the pure disinformation or covert action attempts that they're coordinating with the Russians, and it's happening in some of these other countries for them to erode their support and their belief in the United States of America, and and so right, they're my playing home, a yeah. dangerous game. I know the fact that they were going to give up. Uh, Germany talked theoretically about giving a bill to China and the U.K. has expressed their disdain makes me think there's a chance to round this up for sober people that uh, that actually understand what's going on and can decode this crap to not be lured in. And instead of being going with us, they could actually talk about their experience. We're not asking a favor. We're just we just want to show them leadership, how to stay away from this poison and I'll give you an example, as has been told to me, China will go in there and they'll rebuild the country's infrastructure and build roads and bridges and tunnels. And when they can't make the payments, for example, when a, a pandemic hits, they'll say, OK, the collateral, I'll take your copper mine, a copper mine. I'll take your gold mine. I will take your port. And next thing you know, they have what they really wanted. And that's a long term payoff for the influence they got. And that's what people can't see around the corner Hopefully we can see around the corner. Hopefully Italy sees around the corner now. Hopefully Spain and the UK, who have signed up for Huawei, will see the same thing. Do you think they will? Look, there are so many examples of, 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 the, of what you're talking about. Sri Lanka, you know, pick the country in Africa. And, and the troubling thing that we're starting to see is how the Chinese are trying to do this in, in South America and Central America, in our own backyard. And, you know, and they're doing this to try to put additional pressure. You know, I, I've been in, in Central America at, on days where um, the, those governments supported what, what the Chinese call the One Belt and One Road initiative, and I was the first yep. U.S. official that had to berate them for, for doing this and trying to explain what you just pointed out of the impact. Um, we, 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 we can change the tide. Part of this requires us working with our, our, our allies um, and, and working together. You, we talk about supply chains. Canada and Mexico with under the USMCA. We should be talking about North American competitiveness in other parts of the world. We should we should be in, in using the, the, our three countries together, you know, as a bulwark against the against the Chinese. Um, the the UK government, when it comes to 5G and having to use Huawei, we have to be able to provide an alternative that's cheaper and just as good. And, and we don't have it. Now. We're gonna. We don't. We don't. We don't have it. And there's only three other competitors. And how do we do things like make it more important uh, that people would rather go with with our product or, or Samsung or Nokia, um, you know, in, versus versus Huawei? And why does 5G matter? 5G. It, you know, the Chinese are trying to dominate in 5G not because they want to dominate 5G. They want to own all the companies that are going to be operating in 5G. And those are the next trillion dollar companies. Those are the next companies that are going to drive. And, and all of this comes back to data. Data now in, in, is the coin of the realm. That's what's going to supercharge artificial intelligence. That's what's going to help when we have quantum computing. And, you know, look, I, there's not one thing I agree with Vladimir Putin on, but he said whoever masters artificial intelligence masters the world, right? And the key to mastering artificial intelligence is data. Yeah. And that's what, that's what 5G allows. So these are the 
the, the big geopolitical things that are happening and are going to impact our way of life in the future. And the Chinese are taking advantage of a current situation where people are dying and, and, mm-hmm. and we can't let it happen. We got to make sure that we're continuing to reopen, that we're taking care of the health and safety of, of our citizens, but also thinking about how do we use our allies to make sure China becomes transparent. I hear you. And uh, just real quick, uh, Congressman, what are you doing next? I know this is your last term. Uh, look, a mix of things, right? You know, I, I can't, I can't finalize anything until until I'm out of Congress. Um, I'll do something in the the private sector and in, in, in that interconnection between technology and national security. Uh, that's my passion. I'll probably do something in academia. Uh, how do you build the next? You know, if technology is super important in the future, you know, not only do we need cyber warriors, we also need people in you know regulatory positions and government positions that understand technology gotcha. and, 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 and still helping candidates across the country that, that are good candidates. So involved, like you, you know, uh, Con- you know, Congressman Wilhurd, you've done a, a great job. I'm up against a break, but thanks so much. I'll talk to you again real soon, I hope. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade here. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. I'm sorry I went so late with uh, Will Hurd, but we have so much to talk about. He also has done a real good job as an impactful senator, excuse me, congressman, who would have been a uh, strong senator. But you know what? He was differing on Trump on a few things when it came to the border, too. Uh, but uh, I just think he's really insightful and he's gone out of his way, I, I think, to give the, uh, uh, the Republican agenda a chance anyway, while still understanding he's a CIA guy who thinks intelligence first. And a lot of times the president's got to buck the intelligence apparatus that he worked for for 30 years undercover. So we don't even know a tenth of what he's seen and what he does about knows about what really is happening on the international circuit. So keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. You can listen to us on hopefully a local affiliate. You can watch the stream, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Get Radio.com. You heard us around the country if you have to travel. Uh, But also you get on Fox Nation. If you have not downloaded that app yet, I think you'll love it. There's a lot of great content, including What Made America Great. I've done 23 episodes there. And I was en route to doing another five until the pandemic hit. Ari Fleischer coming up this hour. And for those baseball fans, sports fans, are Randy Levine. Uh, Randy is the president of the New York Yankees. He's also very much involved with the future of baseball. And he's a longtime friend of Donald Trump. They've known each other for 40, uh, 40 years and on 77 WABC and WRCN. Uh, everybody knows Randy Levine, especially in New York, but he's an impact player, and he understands uh, putting sports in perspective. I get it, but I never met more people who miss sports more 
uh, from the athletes to the fans to the sponsors to the broadcasters. In any period of my life, I've never seen more sectors say, I really miss sports. I like to watch bad sports and bad games again. The storylines that we took for granted that maybe this year wasn't a great year for the NBA. Maybe it was a great year for baseball. Maybe the draft was a little boring. We are clamoring for any type of real-life drama uh, besides The Last Dance, which is a uh, 10-part series that's seen on ESPN. Two are seen every single Sunday. We'll talk about all that. The president's going to meet with the Secretary of State in about an hour. Uh, The governor of New York is going to have his press briefing today shortly. And uh, the president's also going to meet, uh, is meeting right now with the Louisiana governor, Edwards, Democrat in the Oval Office, finding out exactly what they need to bring everything back. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we are not happy with China. We are not happy with that whole situation. There are a lot of ways you can hold them accountable. We're doing very serious investigations, as you probably know, because we believe it could have been stopped at the source. As do I. China, instead of coercion, contrition, we get coercion and we get threats. China pushes back on the U.S. claims of lying. And Australia wants an investigation, and they are about to get retribution. Do you believe this? How China should pay, actually pay, for their economic catastrophe they caused the world. Number two. When someone dies in this country right now, they're not talking about the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the stroke. They say, did they die from COVID? ER doctors now, my friends that I talk to say, you know, when I'm writing up my death report, I'm being pressured to add COVID. Why is that? Dan Erickson, owner of Accelerated Urgent Care, did a study. It says this is not worth the lockdown. Herd immunity might be a better way. Medical advances and testing improvements along with suppression. And we find a time when I guess it's okay to suppress science. Dan Erickson, the doctor, you just heard him. When the conclusion runs counter to convention, that's when it's okay to suppress science. That's exactly what happened, and you are about to hear all about it. Number one. What's happening right now is holding us back. There are areas that we can open in a safe manner to help lead this nation in the right Mm -hmm. direction. We can overcome this just as we've overcome so many other challenges in this nation. But instead, the House is going to go home. The Senate's coming back Monday. So the American people aren't served. Although we have now passed one million American cases of coronavirus, state by state, we're opening up, back up, I should say, with some blame uh, of a slow release of rights and safety. A lot of people are getting upset that we're not opening up quick enough. Some say we're doing just fine. What do you say? Uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, go to briankilmeade.com. Just write me, click on contacts, and we'll know where to go. All right, first things first. Uh, when we talk about opening up uh, the, around the country, I just got an email from Wyoming. Don't let it, uh, Wisconsin, don't let anyone kid you. We open up way too slow. Uh, retail stores are still closed. People are going out of business, and there's no pandemic. Doesn't feel like a pandemic here at all. In Tennessee today, retail shares uh, stores are open at 50% occupancy. In Wisconsin, they say non-essential businesses, curbside drop-off, outdoor rentals allowed. Uh, North Dakota restaurants, gym salons, uh, salons, I should say, saloons too. Friday, Arizona, Colorado, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, uh, Iowa, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Texas, Vermont, and Wisconsin will reopen. My fingers are crossed. It'll be substantial and help turn this uh, economy around. Uh, everybody's different. And I think the president's done a good job uh, saying to everybody, run it yourself. The governor's got to do just as good a job to tell mayors, if you're not having a problem, maybe you want to tell me you might want some special circumstances. For Governor Gavin Newsom, he's getting pushed back. He thinks the whole state is like Los Angeles. He also has a plan when it comes to our schools. 
He's looking to send him back. Cut eight in the summer. We are, we are considering the prospect of an even earlier school year into the fall. It's early as late July, early August. So we're beginning to socialize that. We have made no uh, decisions definitively in that space, but I just want folks to know the concern around learning loss and the concern uh, about uh, waiting till late, later in the year into the fall for the new school year. Yeah, I know my daughter said she's in 11th grade. She's like, we, they put up videos, nine views. So she's doing the work, she's finding it difficult. Uh, they're trying to go in and help people out, trying to get some tutors for people. Teachers have it really hard. Uh, they have to work and have their times of class, and then they got uh, kids can't get on the computer too late. So they're, they're parents a lot of times, and then they got to go interact with the parents at night. So they're never off. This has been extremely hard on teachers, totally underappreciated. But in places, in states, in areas, especially in California, as big as most countries, why not start opening up areas? Here's Kevin McCarthy of California, Cut 9. California has led the world in so many innovations and others. What's happening right now is holding us back. We have, California is so large, we'll have three, four different states among themselves. There are areas that we can open in a safe manner to help lead this nation in the right mm-hmm. direction. But Gavin Newsom continues to hold us back and thinks he has to reteach us. Human nature, I will tell you, I understand it. Parents are teaching their children every day. We can overcome this just as we've overcome so many other challenges in this nation. So we put out a lot of money uh, to, that we don't have uh, to people to not work. And it's to businesses. And they're getting a lot of money. I think the, the Paytech Protection Program uh, went, out of, went out of money at $400, $500 billion in two weeks. This one, the second serving, is about to go out of money in about two weeks. Uh, there's been a delay there's been some unsavory activity with these universities applying for this aid. They don't deserve. They have other access. Uh, major corporations like Shake Shack um, and Potbelly going in. If they're individually owned franchises, I get it. It's a small business. But if it's centrally owned franchise, there's no way you should be doing it. Starbucks shouldn't be doing it. They're not doing it. Notre Dame should give back the money. And by the way, the L.A. Lakers shouldn't even have filled out the form, but they did. But they said they'll give back the money. Well, that's big of you. Axios is giving back the money. They returned $5 million. Axios is a great publication. Do some great original journalism. Uh, and they're hurting because people aren't sponsoring. People aren't looking to write checks for commercials or ads in times like this. So they're hurting. They're put in for it, but they think the, the optics of getting money doesn't look good. So it's already a major issue. The House has decided not to come back, even though I look at them as essential workers, like I do sanitation, police, uh, like I do... Uh, people that work on the telephone lines and the cable lines, you need them out, you need electricity. But for some reason, the House doesn't see it that way. The Senate does. I want to talk to Ari Fleischer about that. Also, the president's messaging. The president was, does a great job when he has a, pro, a policy. He humanized it by putting people in front of people. The small businesses that were brought in yesterday, they went in front of the public. Love it. Okay? It doesn't mean everything's going smooth, but it shows the pro, there's a face behind the project. The president's got a short nose uh, press conferences left starting this afternoon. He's got to leave when it got, after two or three questions and then leave it to the experts. And if people decide to tune out, they decide to tune out. Uh, it's up to them. one 408 I'm going to tune in because Ari Fleischer's here. We're going to talk about the communications, the new communications team with Hope Hicks there, with uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany there. How's it going? Uh, and we'll talk about what the, the president's got to do. He's trailing in almost every battleground state. But this thing is just getting started. Don't move. 
Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mr. President, overall, South Korea has done five times more tests than the U.S. per capita. Why is that? I don't think that's true. That, that is true. And you said this morning that the White House said the U.S. passes South Korea in virus testing. Who are you with? Uh, Yahoo News. And it's not true per capita. Uh, do you want to respond to that? Do you, if you have the numbers. Sure, I have the numbers. I just want to make it clear that um, South Korea's testing was 11 per per 100,000, and we're at 17 per 100,000. Right. So, Are you going to apologize, Yahoo? That's why you're Yahoo, and nobody knows who that you are. <laughs> so that was uh, Hunter Walker of Yahoo News, and guess who was right? President Trump was right. He said, we have passed South Korea. Uh, he tweeted out an apology. He said, we have have passed South Korea in the number of tests conducted per capita. I misread the mobile version of this chart, and I'm sorry about that. Donald Trump. Joining us now is Ari Fleischer. An apology, Ari Fleischer. Can you believe it? Rare. It's rare. (laughs) (laughs) But, But an example of the sparring sessions that goes on. We're kind of used to it now. We have never seen anything that we've been witnessing over the last three years, let alone a president going to the press room every day. You know, here, here's I watched that whole thing unfold live, and my first reaction to it was, one, I, I knew that stat because we actually had crossed the South Korean line about a week ago. But it was the challenging manner in which the reporter asked it. I don't mind tough questions, and I don't mind reporters to say the president got this wrong, and even if a reporter makes a mistake. But he went in there with an aggressive mission. I mean, he could have simply just said, Mr. President, the data show we haven't tested as many as South Korea. Why is that? But you heard his tone. His tone was really a get-in-your-face, challenge the president, that's why I'm here message. And that's why I think so much of what the White House briefing room does doesn't really fit the lives of the American people. We want answers. We want hard questions. But why does everything have to be a get-in-your-face, provoke-the-president challenge, especially if you don't have the facts? And the president's style is like no other. I will go back at you just as hard. I don't care if you're in the New York Times or, uh, or Bill's uh, daily press. Uh, he just, he'll go at you, um, and he'll look to win every time. But in Usually, the end, not always. Bet, the, the, with pe- you know, I noticed go, when, he he'll, he'll he the Rose, when he got asked right. the question in the Rose Garden about should you get reelected because more people have died than during the Vietnam War, he rose above. What a what a provocative that question that was just designed to get under his skin, provoke him so the person who asked it could get herself on TV. And the president rose above. He said one death is too many. Frankly, Brian, I think that's is so much stronger and better if the president would rise above a lot of this nonsense. Many reporters are asking serious, hard, good questions. But the ones who yeah. don't, the ones who go in there to showboat and hot dog president can make them look small if he would rise above. I think that's much more effective than directly punching them in the nose right back. And I've heard you talk before. I mean, you're, you're willing to say that 
Uh, we got to know President Trump. Let's just be honest. Everything he does is different. Some of it's better. Some of it's yep. just unorthodox. And some of it's worse. So the West, the, one of the great things about when I have you on, I never, your analysis is always fair. Uh, and from these press conferences, you agree with most of America. They're way too long. And the president's <laughs> putting himself through things that aren't going to benefit him. Taking two hours worth of questions with 90% of the room is hostile to you yep. doesn't help. Yep. Look, there's some lines, so, Dens, you, think you he'll can change? make it through and survive, and when you do, you get into the Bible. There are other lines, Dens, you get eaten up and torn apart. Uh, I think it's more likely he's going to get eaten up and torn apart. <laughs> so cut it back. Be a little wiser about how you do your communicating. Uh, even presidents can get overexposed. And, Brian, there's other ways the president can communicate. He can travel. He could go to the Small Business Administration this afternoon and talk about getting money into the hands of people who need the money, the loan program the federal government is doing. He could travel to the Red Cross and talk about all the vital efforts that people are making to save lives and improve health care for people. All of those are things he could be doing instead of just going into the press room and engaging in combat. It bothers me that no one's told him that because I don't think he's against it. I think he would love to get out of there yeah. and, you know, and discuss it. I don't think he loves being in the White House 24 hours a day. That's why he's always going to New Jersey or, or Florida before it gets really hot. Uh, I want to give you, I want to contrast with something else. I mean, Governor Cuomo, we know in New York how he likes to raise taxes, how confrontational he is. His approval rating was under 50 percent. But the one thing seems to be he's showing you humility and conversation and a conversationality that I think is really unique. Uh, and here's an example, I think, of something that President Trump could do. Cut seven. When China says, don't worry, I have a fire in my backyard. You don't hang up the phone and go back to sleep, right? And if no one was going to blow the bugle, I would feel much better if I was a bugle blower last December and January, even though no one danced to the music, I would feel better sitting here today saying, I blew the bugle about Wuhan province in January. I can't say that. So he's being critical of himself. How, what do you think of that, that, that approach? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. Look, Democrats have a lot more leeway to say things like that. Because if a president doesn't, especially a Republican president, it becomes the headline. Trump admits fault. Trump takes blame. And that would lead all follow-up questions. Well, then why do you deserve re-election? Why did you do that? Who didn't you? You know, so Cuomo can do it and get praise for being reflective. And you also notice, Brian, Trump, Cuomo doesn't have the hostile press corps. I mean, it amazes me yep. as a New Yorker coming from New York yes. City, where you used to think there was a tough press corps, how they roll over for Cuomo. They don't get in his grill the way the White House press corps gets in President Trump's grill. And so all the governors have a lot more leeway and freedom to have reflective quality news conferences because the press corps is actually there to cover the newsmaker and not just fight with the newsmaker. The White House press corps is unique. That White House briefing room is unique. It is red hot and especially red hot when it's a Republican president and even redder hotter when it's Trump as president. I mean, if you just look at these raw numbers, New York State, 295,000 plus cases, uh, almost 23,000, over 23,000 deaths. I mean, it's a third of the whole country's uh, population, you know, a third of all the deaths in the entire country. On pure numbers, he's doing worse than any other governor. Now, we know about the city's challenges and everything like that, but he doesn't look like a governor looking to overcome those numbers. Sometimes you got to realize how bad things are compared to other states. 
after watching his daily press conferences. He does a great job with PowerPoint moving people through, explaining what happened, but on pure numbers, it's terrible. In pure numbers, it's terrible, and he's also not held to account for the mistakes that New York made. And everybody made mistakes. But when President Trump makes a mistake, the press corps roasts him for it. For instance, Governor Cuomo said that when the Comfort pulled into New York Harbor, that we would immediately move patients on board the ship. That didn't happen. Why didn't it happen at a time when people in hospitals were screaming that, that things were overcrowded? When Cuomo was screaming about overcrowds, he promised immediate. He didn't deliver. He said that New York was the canary in the coal mine. Whatever is happening in New York will happen in other cities across America. I warn you, my friends, it's coming. That turned out to be wrong. So did he play chicken little and get resources for New York that should have not gone to New York, that should have gone to other places? But the press doesn't follow up with him the way they would with President Trump. And that's my beef. I think right. the press we should be like seconds. they are with Cuomo with President Trump. They should be fair and neutral. 30 seconds left. Uh, president's trailing in every battleground state. Should you be concerned? I'd be concerned if he was winning in every battleground state. Look, I've been saying for more than a year this is going to be a 50-50 election no matter what. And I think that remains the case. This is going to be close. We're a closely divided country. Uh, we're going to be up late on election night, I suspect. It's going to be a close election. Uh, Ari's other passion is baseball and the Yankees. Uh, Ari, stay aboard. Randy Levine will be on next, or at least keep your radio on. Uh, President of the New York Yankees on can the Mets and Yankees be in the same division this year? Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't know. It's not my business. I don't know the economics. If your choice was players stay home, but assume the players are getting less money or no money. If you could make the economics work without the seat sales, and you could have teams play without the seat sales, but you had televised and you had the television revenue, you know, we're in a different place. Be creative. Try to figure it out. But if players could get paid more than staying home and owners would get some revenue versus total shutdown, why not? Uh, that is uh, the governor taking a question about what about the Mets, Yankees and all of baseball. Randy Levine joins us now. He's president of the New York Yankees, been all over this, really respected around the league. And we're in an unprecedented time in which you need creative people to try to find a way to get us back on the field and get sports back front and center. Randy, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. I'm good. Did you hear the governor say that and, and his statement uh, as he talked to the press, a non-sports press? Would you go out there? Uh, is there a scenario where you go out there without fans all year? Well, I believe that uh, I did listen to the governor, and I think the governor's um, 
position uh, and where what he's looking at and how he's looking at it is is exactly right. Uh, I think where we are at Major League Baseball under Commissioner Manford, as we realize how important you know sports are, especially in these hard times, especially baseball. You know, baseball's been there from Jackie Robinson to after 9-11 to, to calm people and soothe people and take their mind off of things when things are rough. And, you know, health is the most important thing, the health of our employees, our customers, our fans. And I think what we're trying to do is develop a lot, a lot of different plans, different scenarios. Conditions on the ground change all the time. Uh, obviously, uh, it appears that some states are going to open up uh, pursuant to the president's guidelines, which are fine guidelines, are going to open up sooner than other states. Um, so you have to take that into consideration. And it, it's all likely that you basically uh, start with no fans in the seats, uh, start playing with no fans in the seats, and then, you know, see what happens as time goes on uh, with social mitigation. I mean, I can see if the if the virus is down and the numbers are down, uh, because I don't think uh, it's practical, as I said, to play the whole season with no fans. Uh, but if the health conditions uh, allow it, you could have a scenario where fans come to the ballpark, they're you know temperature checked, there are health stations uh, set up uh, everywhere. Um, you start with maybe 20, 25 percent, so you can social distance. Uh, and then, you know, everybody wears masks, gloves, or everything that, that that safety would require, and see if you can build up from there. But I think the governor is right. Uh, what he's done is he's asked for people, and I think the president the same way, they've asked for business to come up with plans that make sense from a public safety point of view, because that's important, but also from an economic point of view, think out of the box. And I think that's what has to happen here. You know, we know our business better than anybody else, so we need to have a public-private partnership that can really um, impact what's going on. And everybody here has good intentions, uh, but everybody is coming from it from a different way. You know, public health people come come with it from one aspect of it. You know, they they many of them, you know, won't be happy unless there is zero cases. God, you know, good for them. But that's not realistic. Economic people come with it right. from another point of view and their best intention. So there has to be a meeting of the minds as long as people are safe. As you know, Brian, there's risk in everything right. you do in life, everything. And that's where we have to go. So I think I think that's where baseball is. That's what we have to look at. We got a lot of plans. The commissioner's doing a great job. It just, you know, we got to get going here because I think the country needs it. Country needs it too. And baseball, the economics, the players want to play. Uh, the, the fans want to see it. The owners want to play. Everybody wants it. The question is, how will you do it? One of the plans that have been floated out there is having divisions realigned to get in the same geographic location for most of the season. And it has uh, the East being with the Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, Nationals, Orioles, Phillies, Pirates, Blue Jays, Rays, and Marlins in the same division. Central would be the Cubs and White Sox, Brewers, Cardinals, etc. And the West with the Dodgers, Angels, Giants, and Athletics, and Padres all in the same division uh, with everybody else in three separate divisions. How realistic is that? And would that help? I think... I think there, as I said, there are no, I, you know, I would not categorize anything as hard plans. There are a lot, a lot of ideas out there. Do you that, like what I read, though? One, 
That, did you like, that's one do you of like them. that, Randy? Well, I, okay. I, I, I'm not going to comment on it until, you know, we all vet it and see details of it. But that's one plan. Uh, there are many, many other plans um, that that we're looking at. And as I said, you know, we're, baseball is – Commissioner Manford is looking at a very detailed response, which will, you know, capture all of the safety risks, hopefully – uh, allow uh, the games to be played in in a way that right. fans need it, and and in a way that uh, that that shows the ability uh, if it's safe for people to 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 go to the games. And I really believe everybody should just work together to do this. Um, you know, I was kind of surprised this morning when I saw one story about you know Dr. Fauci where he said that. Uh, you know, now he doesn't. He thinks some sports might not play till next year. But last week on the Yes Network, he said that the quite the opposite. He said that uh, he, I know. like the governor, would like to see games with fans in the seats. And if there was mitigation, I'm, I'm sorry, with no fans in the seats. And if if there right. was mitigation, you know, possibly uh, depending on conditions on the ground, fans in the seats. So I mean, it's confusing. I mean, and that's why all of us with good intentions, I know, and need that's to the doctor. Together, I mean, need to come right. together and put a plan together that works. But are you? And what you're saying, it's happening. You guys are meeting behind uh, behind the scenes and are thinking about different scenarios. Maybe we could talk. Here's Anthony. Here's Dr. Fauci last week. Let's hear what he said. You could either have a situation where you get the group of players and you put them in a few cities, you make sure they're not infected, you test them so that they don't infect each other. And you have baseball in no, as much as it's tough to say, in a spectator-less environment where you have people playing in an environment in which people can watch it on television. I mean, it's, the revenues are not going to be the same as when you have a packed stadium like Nat Stadium in Washington where I go to, but I think having them play on television is certainly better than nothing. So there he gives a different, uh, a different answer. So you'd be in the same area. They talked about Arizona and Florida being the two spots. Maybe that might be a place to start. Could Randy Levine sign on to that? Well, I, as I said, you know, I think, as I said to you, I think that's a possibility because you're going to have a situation where some states open faster than other. Obviously, New York has been hit a lot harder than other states. But I think you can see a scenario. I mean, again, all the plans that, that I've heard that have been looked at is opening up in two locations, three locations, four locations, opening up in our own ballpark and so forth. But I think that it's incumbent on us, Major League Baseball and the commissioner, and all of the teams to basically come up with a really good plan, run it by all of the, uh, the, the government agencies, run it by all the health professionals, make sure it works. Right. In any plan, you need a lot of testing. That's our plan, testing. We believe we have ways to, 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 to deal with that. All kind of mitigation. And let's see what happens. I mean, each day... This virus, you know, changes. The numbers change. Uh, this is an unprecedented situation. I just don't think this is the time for absolutes one way or another. Everybody needs no, to I work hear together positive to solve problems instead of just, you know, being Svengali's and predicting a future that has been demonstrated. Nobody knows what the future is. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone's talking in absolutes. I think people just want to see the hope. Uh, and a lot of Yankee fans are saying they don't want to start until Aaron Judge is healthy. So I don't think they're going to go by that. Uh, we'll see how close he is. How close is he, by the way? He's getting better. He's getting much, much better. Uh, last I looked, he, he, uh, he was healing uh, really well. But uh, I haven't gotten a report, I would say, in, uh, in about a week. But um, he I was feeling very that. good. Do you believe this, Randy? I don't want to get yourself in trouble with the union. Uh, not that you shy away from that. But do you believe that if baseball starts late and doesn't play 162, salaries will have to be adjusted downward? Do you agree with that? Well, I'm not going to get into, you know, that's, that's negotiation. Uh, our players, I think, want to play. They're, they're great patriots. Um, I think before you even get into that discussion, you have to have a okay. plan to basically say this is what's going to happen. And then, and then once you're there, then you can figure out once you know how many games, once you know what the season's going to look like, what are the conditions, then I think you can have an appropriate negotiation with, with the Major League right. Baseball Players Association, who are good people. You know, they're just like us. You know, they, they recognize that sports is important. Understood. Now, how much do, would you say time do the players need to re, uh, reacclimate themselves to playing again? How much spring training do they need? I believe they probably need at least two or three weeks. That's my guess. Two or three weeks. Okay. Do you think games or workouts? They'll play each other, games? I think, you know, that's that's something all depends on where you start and how do you start. You know, uh, what's the locations? Are you, you know, how accessible is it? Travel? Those are some of the really specific details that we need to hash out in this uh, in this plan. And uh, I know you also own a soccer team. Uh, you're part owners with Manchester City of NYSC. Uh, they're in a much more perilous situation. They need to play by June in the MLS, an emerging league, but not an established league like Major League Baseball. Uh, what, what could you tell us about MLS getting back on the field? In Germany, they were out on the field again. You know, Brian, I wish I could tell you, but I've been so preoccupied lately with the Yankees and baseball and you know, getting us back on the field that I, I literally haven't checked in. But I will. I promise I will. It's not easy owning all this stuff. Uh, here, I want you to hear what Bob Costas told us. <laughs> I want you to hear what Bob, Bob Costas told us last week. Baseball, to have any kind of valid season leading into the playoffs, has to play 80 games or so. That's pretty difficult. That's going to take three to four months of quarantining young people with young families, maybe with babies on the way at home. Uh, not only would you have to quarantine them and the umpires and other officials, but what about the guy who picks up the towels in the locker room? What about the guy who drives the bus or turns on the lights at the stadium, even without fans? There's a lot of pitfalls here. People are going to get hurt. You want to take that on? Do you believe 80? Is it, can we agree on that? You need well, at least 80 again, to have a rule. Yeah, I, I, yeah oft, again, I believe, you know, and I, I think the world of Bob Costas, he's a dear friend and a, a great, great announcer. I think 80 games is possible, depending, you know, where the schedule is. I think it's possible to do more than 80 games. But, again, I don't believe if you've heard, uh, you know, we have to talk realistically here. We must be realistic. And if you've heard some of our great players, Mike Trout, uh, Clayton Kershaw, they're not going to participate in something where everything is quarantined. All of it, you know, they're, they're away from their families and they're quarantined. So 
we have special challenges, but we are just in many ways like like you know your company and every single company. There has to be a way. And that's what all of us in, in the business world are thinking about. How do we bring back our employees safely without, you know, quarantining them? You know, when you walk into your studio at ABC, everybody's not, or at Fox, everybody's not quarantined. So at the end of the day, it, it, there has to be a way to keep people safe, to keep going, because safety is everything, employees, customers, and so forth, uh, in a way that makes this practical and doable and we're going to try and find that way if there is a way maybe there's not but i'm optimistic that there is uh randy you've known uh president trump when he was businessman trump in the 70s how's he doing i think he's doing very well i think that uh you know these guidelines he put together are 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 reasonable they're practical i think they're they're very good Look, I believe everybody here is trying hard to 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 solve this horrible virus that nobody nobody saw coming, and I believe that everybody here needs to just do whatever is it takes to get past this. You know, I'm 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 my job and my life, Brian. I've been you know a problem solver, trying to to solve problems, and I just you know I hope that. That's where everybody's head could be, is that we can move forward here, stop blaming people, stop, you know, stop making gloom and doom predictions, which, uh, you know, people's psychology is very, very important today. As you said, they need hope and see if we can be very productive and work work towards a plan to get to get through this, because I think we will. You know, we've gotten through a lot of stuff our lifetime where we're the where the American people. We can do this, but we need to push ahead and and do what's practical and do what's right and do what's safe. Randy, and just keep us informed, keep our audience informed. And uh, beyond New York, uh, the Yankees are an international organization. So people like to know you guys are going to set the tone as you usually do for the league. Uh, and as you do for the league, because they have so much respect for you. Randy Levine, president of the New York Yankees, thanks so much. Hopefully it's going to be play ball soon. We'll be talking about the Yankees winning losing streaks again. Uh, Randy Levine, thanks. Uh, We'll come back uh, with your calls in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'll try to squeeze in a few calls. Let's go out to uh, Ian. What's on WABC on Long Island? Hey, Ian. Hi, Brian. I just uh, wanted, I was listening to the baseball, and, you know, everybody's at home, and if they really to get that and if they want to push it to get the people behind them, to help the salaries of the hot dog vendors and everybody that's not going to be able to be in the stadium if they forfeit part of their salary so it doesn't have to come from a bailout or something until they're up and running, that'll help to motivate people to then maybe watch because really people want to get out and play baseball with their kids. It's going to be hard to get them to watch, but if you do that, like we watched all these musicians 
singing and everything, but what they lacked was farm aid, was the aid part. They didn't do it to raise money to help nurses. It do so. It was, it, 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 we got to get to that point where let, let's watch the baseball game because you know what? They're helping through their salaries to take care of the, the people so their jobs are secure when they come back. And then you can get people more behind it where it's going to be a good thing to sit down and watch the game. Uh, well, I I'm think we're watching. I think we're watching. Yeah, I think we're watching, and I think they got to find a way to get the – a lot of them helped out the vendors already, and I think the minute that game starts, I guess the vendor's going to have trouble getting paid, but it would be great if they had some type of base pay. But they also know that that's seasonal job anyway, uh, even though that's in season. So it's going to be a lot – listen, it's all down. Everything's down. Uh, unemployment's up, 26 million people out. Uh, this is one area you like to make better, but nothing's going to be perfect. I think the player's taking a pay cut. Because there's just not going to be enough money there. Brian Kilmeade Show, thanks so much for listening. Go to radio.com, listen if you have to travel. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com to get the podcast anytime, anywhere. Uh, Keep it here, everybody. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.